Hello and welcome to In Conversation at the Traverse, sponsored by Spotlight, the home of casting. I'm Orla O'Loughlin, the Artistic Director of the Traverse Theatre in Edinburgh, and tonight I'll be speaking to the star of one of our Traverse Festival 2018 shows, Julie Hesmond-Halsh. For those who may not know, the Traverse Theatre is Scotland's home of new writing and lies in the shadow of Edinburgh Castle. It holds a special place as the heart of the Edinburgh Festival Fringe in August and presents a dynamic range of new work and engagement activities to audiences all year round. Whilst you might be familiar with Julie Hesmond-Halsh from her roles as Hayley Cropper in Coronation Street or Trish Winterman in Broadchurch, she also has a formidable stage CV and is currently in Edinburgh with her one-woman show, The Greatest Play in the History of the World, which was written by her husband, Ian Kershaw, and for which she has just won one of the Stage Edinburgh 2018 awards. I chatted to Julie just over a week into this year's Traverse Festival on Monday the 13th of August in front of a live audience in Traverse One. Good evening, everybody. You are very, very welcome here to Trav One on this very wet, dreek, misty evening. My name's Orla O'Loughlin. I'm the artistic director of the Traverse Theatre, and it's my huge pleasure to introduce to you Julie Hedmond Harsh, who is starring in the greatest play in the history of the world in Traverse 2, this festival. That, that's the name of it. That's not just Oiler's name. <laughs> Thanks, Oiler. <laughs> so we are going to have a conversation um, for about half an hour, 40 minutes. And at that point, I'll be really keen, and I know Julie is too, to take questions from yourselves. So if anything comes up that you want to know more about or something completely different that you'd like to ask Julie about, we'll make sure that there's time for us to have that conversation too. So welcome, Julie. We're delighted to have you with us this festival in your beautiful show. If anyone hasn't seen it yet, go and see this show. It's extraordinary. Um, so maybe I could start by asking you, how is it to be here in the festival? How's it going for you? I'm absolutely loving it. I have gone a little bit crazy with it. I mean, I, I, it's, uh, everyone was like, you need to just take it a bit more easy than you're doing because I've seen 23 shows already. <laughs> I know, I know. I mean, I'm such a geek, I can't even tell you. And, uh, and, and I've booked tickets for another 26. <laughs> and I'm going home in that time as well. I'm going home for the weekend, next weekend, like between shows. So, so yeah, yeah, I have, I have gone a bit daft with it. But I, Absolutely love it. It's my idea of heaven, you know. And, and if it's, um, I, I don't want to sound ungrateful when I say this, but I am free from the shackles of my children at the moment. <laughs> so uh, they were up last week, and we saw loads of stuff together because obviously the fringe is great for, for kids as well. So we saw tons of stuff from the amazing Bubble Man to Showstopper, the improv musical, amazing. Made me want to give up everything. You're just like, well what's the point of anything when there's people that talented out there um but yeah um, i'm just i'm just loving just hearing about running 
through the drink from one venue to another. I'm, I'm doing, I'm averaging about 15,000 steps a day. So wow. I'm really pleased with myself. But yeah, I'm, ju I'm just, I'm loving the whole experience of, the, uh, of just being here for such a length of time. Yeah. And also just coming and doing the show every day yeah. to different audiences and meeting different people. And it's just been, it's just fantastic. Honestly, it's a, it's a period of my life I'll never forget. Is it your first time playing the festival? Yeah, well, I keep saying it is. And actually, what I keep forgetting is that I, I run a little theatre company in Manchester uh, called Tape Back, and we're, we're, we're sort of a little collective. We're very low-key, we're fringy, and all, all unpaid. And we, we, we put on sort of script-in-hand um, mm -hmm. responses to things that happen in the news and in the world. So, so we did like quite a big one at um, uh, the Royal Exchange in Manchester after Brexit, and we did one at the Comedy Store in Manchester after Trump's inauguration, and, and we, we get in touch with writers and say, just write us five minutes on, on, on this theme, which one on the NHS recently. And then we get really fantastic actors who, who can just come and rehearse for an hour and do it scripts in hands, and we put on these evenings. And it's, it's great. It's, it's been mm. a real source of a joy for me, and the, the two big passions in my life are, are theatre and politics. And, and, and it's been a real sort of like meeting of those two things. So... So I've loved that. So after our, um, our Brexit one, which was called Take Back Togetherness, mm. um, we brought 10 short pieces to the roundabout at Summerhall. Oh, yeah. So Payne's Plough uh, give this opportunity to visiting companies to do a little bit in the morning or the last thing at night. Uh -huh. So we all set off from Manchester at about four in the morning. Ooh. Our train was really badly delayed. And then we got to Edinburgh Station and got a taxi straight to Summerhall and literally ran on stage. And I am not exaggerating when I say the taxi door opened and we ran on. And there was Francesca from Haynes Plough and two of our mates from Manchester. And that was it. <laughs> there was no other audience there at all. And we did, we did our 10 pieces with absolute gusto and commitment. And then we just stayed and just watched loads of stuff all day and then came back that night. So, so really, that, that was a great experience. But this has been the first time that I've properly come and, yeah. and done a stint. And, uh, and what a way to start being at the Travers. And I feel a bit of a cheat, actually. You know, I did promise that I'd go on like flyer on Royal Mile and then we sold out. And I was like, oh, I can't do that. <laughs> <laughs> After walking up the Royal Mile a few times, I'm like, I don't want to do that. So... You're here performing every day, even on your day off today, you're here with us. Um, how are you finding being part of the Traverse programme and, 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 and the rolling programme? We have uh, a system here where every day uh, Julie will play at a different time, so maybe half ten one morning, one o'clock in the afternoon the next day, four... And it's very particular to the Traverse that we do that. How, how's that going? I, I love it. Okay. I really love it. I mean, it, it, I, I, it just caused me a little bit of anxiety. I was saying earlier on that I was trying to meet Justin Moorhouse. He's a comedian from Manchester. He's up here doing a show. And we're trying to meet up this weekend because I've booked so many shows. <laughs> it's very hard to pin me down for a cup of tea. Um, but I'm, I'm, I'm really loving that because it means that it doesn't clash with anything. Yeah. So I can, I can see everything and am. And... Um, and uh, and also, um, it's really interesting, the different audiences at different times of the day. Yeah. So I, I'd met, I'd bumped into Mark Thomas, um, who's doing the show in, in here, the NHS show, um, in London, just before I came up. 
And I said, oh, how is it with the different signs and everything? And he said, oh, it's, it's, it's great. I really like it, he said, but it's really interesting. He said, because you think all of the morning show will be hard work. And actually, the morning show is often a really great show yeah. because everybody's like newly caffeinated and <laughs> fresh and ready for the day. And he said, and actually, that the tea time show can often be the, the slightly more difficult one because people are, you know, getting ready for the tea, mm -hmm. getting a bit hungry, getting a bit tired. You know, they've seen, they've seen quite a few things already that day. So, and so it's been really interesting sort of navigating around that as well. So tell us a bit about your show. Tell us about how it came to be, because it's a fantastic story. Okay, yeah, so it's a lovely story, actually. A couple of years ago, I said to my husband, who's at the writer Reed Kershaw, um, write something for me. It's the point of being married to a writer, if you like. <laughs> and, uh, and he writes Corrie now, so he can't get me in there. Do you know what I mean? I'm long gone from that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so I said, write, write me a one-woman show that's, that's quite low-tech, that we can... That we can travel the world with and don't make it age specific so I can still do it like you know in, in my 70s <laughs> and, uh, and we can just be like oh there's a little festival in Melbourne let's let's take it there and, and bless his eye he uh, very obediently um, did um, <laughs> and he kept disappearing over one Christmas I just thought he was doing some emailing and stuff and at the end of this Christmas he, he presented me with this, this lovely one woman show called The Greatest Play in the History of the World, which immediately made me quite nervous and still does. <laughs> um, it's explained in the play. For those of you who've seen it, you know it does. But um, it, uh, and it's just a very beautiful, unapologetically um, romantic story about love and loss and carpet slippers and space and time. And it's a very clever story that. Um, that plays with time and connections and there's little clues seeded throughout it that you know that you can some you'll catch some you'll miss and then afterwards you'll probably make the connections when you've gone home and and I just loved it straight away yeah so, uh, so I, I immediately took it to um, Raz Shaw who's a director I've worked with before and love working with mainly because I can bully him as well it's like so it's, so it's quite important in my life to work with people I can like <laughs> <laughs> throw my weight around with and, uh, and he loved it as well despite being quite a cynical person he pretends and um, and so that that was the beginning of it so we had a little tryout mm -hmm. at the exchange just for a couple of performances last autumn and it seemed to go well and uh, and then we were lucky enough to be accepted into the to the arms of the Travis to to do it up here so so yeah, so and that and that's it now. We'll be touring it for the the rest of my life now. So. It's like yeah, yeah. To be, you can catch it at a community centre in Stafford in two thousand and thirty-eight, probably. And uh, you've been doing more and more stage work. Is that fair to say? Do you think in the last couple of years is that yeah. a natural progression, or is that something that you've planned, or how's that? I did I did mainly theatre before I went into Coronation okay. Street. So so, but I mean. I, some of you might not know I was in I was in Coronation Street for 16 years um, so I was a very I was a very young person who, who'd not had much of a career at all when I went into Coronation Street and I absolutely loved it there and so I had all my 30s there and into my 40s and I met my husband on it he used to be an actor soon put a stop to that <laughs> get it sell around me a play um, and, uh, and I had my children while I was doing it and uh, and it was a really amazing experience and the greatest apprenticeship you could ever have in TV acting because yeah. it's a machine, you know, and, and, and I played a character that I loved and that was very, you know, very loved by the public and um, 
yeah, so when I went back, when I left, when I decided to go, it's because I'd taken a little bit of time off to do a play mm -hmm. uh, that had been very close to my heart, a play about um, Sophie Lancaster, who was a young woman who was very brutally uh, murdered in a park quite near to where I grew up um, because she was a, a very alternative young person. She identified as a goth, and she was yeah. with her boyfriend in a park, and, um, and a gang of uh, lads basically, uh, well, kicked her to death. And, um, and her mum set up a foundation in her memory after her death and, and uh, has done amazing work around hate crime and stuff. And, and th there was a, a radio play about it that was poems by Simon Armitage, the wonderful poet, um, that were written as if by Sophie, mm -hmm. intercut with uh, interviews with Sylvia, her mum. And this radio play had, had a massive impact. It was one of those Radio 4 afternoon plays where people say truck drivers were pulling over yeah. to listen to the end of it and stuff. And, uh, and they decided to make it into a, a theatre piece. And Sylvia, who I knew a little bit, wanted me to play her, and which was a massive honour. And it was only really because of that that I took time off to do it. Because otherwise, I think I would have been like, I don't really want to take time off unless it's to spend with my kids who yeah. were very young at that time. And um, so I did it. I took a little bit of time off to do that. And I, re I realised very, very quickly that I loved it and that I wanted to do more of it, and that in order to do that, I was going to have to leave Coronation okay. Street. So it was a real massive moment in my life, and it was a slow awakening, and it was one that I sat on for quite a few months and thought really mm. deeply about, because you know, I was supporting my family as well, and Corrie gives you security that's very rare for an yeah. actor, as well as it just being a job that I genuinely really, really loved. Um, and I talked to people who were close to me, and I totally assumed that people would be like, aren't you mad? What are you doing? Stay in it. You know, and also it's a great place to grow old is Corrie because mm. it's like one of the only places where you get top-notch writing for older women. Yeah. And, I, and it was a consideration, but everyone without exception, including my family, just said, do it. You know, you're an actor. Go and be an actor. Wow. But I didn't have any expectations of what that would be at all. Okay. I, I thought I'll throw myself out of the nest and see what happens. And that might be theatre. It might be just like, you know, guest parts on Holby. It might be, you know, I, I just didn't know. Yeah. But I just knew that it was time to do yeah. it. And that, that was it. So, And the first thing that I got offered... I mean, I did completely expect to do panto, which is what everyone <laughs> expects me to do. And, and I don't have any snobbery about that. You know, I was thinking... Do you know what? It'll be all right. I can do panto and then I can do interesting work for yeah. the year, paid by it, you know. And, and uh, so I got offered a panto and uh, and we were in like negotiations, not about the money, but about the billing because um, <laughs> the dog from um, uh, Britain's, Britain's Got, Got Talent, Talent yeah. was in it and, and there, was fight, there was fighting over who should get top billing, me or. <laughs> and, uh, and, and there was a moment where I was a little bit like, this isn't quite what I had in mind <laughs> when I was like deciding to leave, and, and it, but but still like okay, if this is what, and then and then I got offered a part in a Simon Stevens play. So some of you might know Simon Stevens' work. He's a very he's a he's a Stockport writer, and he's he's you know um, I mean he's, he's not a young gun at all now. He's still getting away with that title, mm. even though he's like my age. Um, but he writes so you know very sort of social realist plays set in the north and uh, and I got uh, offered a part well I auditioned and got a part in um, in his play Blindsided mm. I think that was a game changer yeah. for me because it was it suddenly became oh she's taking that route instead 
and, and I did that straight after I'd left Corrie. And then I did Black Roses, the play about Sophie again. And we toured that to, to um, you know, forgotten places in West Cumbria that yeah. really needed to see it. And that was a really incredible experience. So, so that was, it set my stall. Yeah. You know, it was kind of like, oh, that's the route she's going to go. So yeah. I was really grateful for that. And new, it's new writing. Yes. Yeah. Which is absolutely my passion. Yeah. And what's that? What's that about? Can you say any more about why new writing is is the thing that's sort of stolen you? I don't know. I think it's because I like plays that have got something to say about uh -huh. the world we're in now. Mm -hmm. And and that's not to say that you can't do a Shakespeare play and it have lots to say about now because that's the that's the wonder of Shakespeare that you know it never loses its relevance in so many ways. Yeah. And 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 I really love that, and there's room in my heart for that as an audience member, absolutely. But, but for me, I love doing something that's never been done before and being part of the process of experimenting about what works and what doesn't mm -hmm. in the text and, and being part of the dramaturgy of it in the rehearsal room yeah. and, and, just, and creating a character from scratch that hasn't been done before. Yeah. And, uh, and that, that is absolutely what I'm interested mm -hmm. in and what I want to continue doing, and I've been really lucky to... Yeah. Yeah, to do quite a bit of that. And I'm doing Mother Courage next year at, um, at the Royal Exchange, yeah. which is really the only, the only part that I've ever really, you know, a part, an established part that I've ever really fancied. And, and that was because I saw an incredible production of it when I was 17 that was really groundbreaking and really stayed in my memory. It was Ellie Haddington who yeah. played her. And, uh, and I, wrote, I had to write about it for my A-level and stuff, and I really remember it. So when I got the opportunity to play that, that's been an amazing thing. But it's a new version, yeah. and it's been written very much with me in mind by Anna Jordan, oh, who's wow. a real, like great, yeah, you know, brilliant writer. So it's a, a really new modern take on it, and the Brecht estate is very sort of like much more kind of up for that now mm -hmm. as well. So, so yeah, yeah. So 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 I think it's that really. It's yeah. been part of. I love a collaboration, and I love a collaborative rehearsal room, and yeah. I think that new writing really invites yeah. that. In a way. Yeah. And, and, and you're talking about characters there, about um, finding a character for the first time, or how do you approach character? Do you have a method? Do you have a way in? Or is it different every time? How does that work for you? Yeah, I, I don't know, really. I think that what I always try to do is create a backstory uh -huh. for, for a character uh, that, that is never shared with anyone, but I will always freehand write okay. a backstory to try and flesh something out. I think that, that it makes sense of a person for you and some of the decisions that that character might make in a play, you can find a way of explaining them for yourself if it's something that you can't imagine yourself doing in a certain situation. Okay. So that's something that, um, that has been very useful to me, I think. But mostly, I would say that it's in the room playing in yeah. that moment and, yeah. and seeing what the other people around you are doing. So you can do as much prep as you want, but until you're there with the other actors, giving you what they're giving you and making you feel a certain way when yeah. you're with them, that, that that's the... Yeah, I, I don't think there's a set thing that I do. And, I'm, and I'm, I'm always really happy to be led by 
directors as well because yeah. I'm still I mean this is the the great and this is probably why I'm going bananas seeing so many things in, in <laughs> Edinburgh I'm like even though I'm like such a, an old fart I'm like actually like a 17 year old because because I had this 16 year hiatus when I was in Coronation Street <laughs> I'm a bit like I'm like fresh out of drama school you know mm -hmm. so and I'm really really excited about different methods and different ways of working and different different sort of skills that people bring to the table yeah. that they can teach me and share with me and and, and that's been really exciting mm. I think we talked the other day all about the, the biggest change I think for me is the the role of the movement director actually yeah. in, a, in a rehearsal room because when I went into Corrie that wasn't really a thing and now because of frantic assembly and companies like them you know now it's like it's part of our language in yeah. theatre now it really really is and my daughter's just done a GCSE drama and it's and it's like all frantic assembly sort of like led. It's amazing yeah. to see, you know, it's like can't do a scene without like throwing a chair <laughs> over the head and kind of and it's and it's exciting, yeah. you know. It's because it, everything's much more physical and rooted in something yeah. rather than it just being cerebral and yeah. Yeah. Have you found that or oh, you yeah, kinda, absolutely. Was there a moment when you you sort of started to embrace I think it just came as I got more experienced and a bit more confident that I, I learned just to let my instinct rule rather than having to feel I had to justify it intellectually. Yes. And I think that's where the body sort of comes in. Yeah. And finding things that just, you know they're right because they feel right. Yes. And everyone in the in, in the room will know that moment. We'll recognise it. We'll, so, um, yeah, and I've always been very kind of interested in how stories are told visually as well as with words. Yeah. So um, so bodies in space and the space between us and all of that I'm really interested yeah. in. So yeah, yeah, it's great. Well, you can see that in the brilliant production. Oh, thank you very much. Because it's very visceral and physical, you know, yeah. people are, I, I don't know whether any of you or all of you have seen What Girls Are Made Of yet, because it's brilliant, you know, it's absolutely great. I loved it and that's very, you know, it's, it's a real, it's a gig as well. Yeah. You know, it's, it's a really amazing experience to Thank be in the and watch that. So you mentioned drama school there. How did you how did you get into this business at all? Obviously, you went to drama school, but what brought you to drama school, and how was it for you? Um, well, I was really really lucky because I uh, I was the the very dog end of like the the post war kind of program to enable young working class people to access the arts and yeah. I really was the kind of the last of it so I um I went to a really brilliant further education college in Accrington where I'm from which is a small industrial um town in Lancashire and we had an inspirational teacher and it's always that and it? it always comes back to that and he was he was an actor himself and he'd gone into teaching and he just taught us that it was for the likes of us. You know, he just made it a reality for us. And he said, there's absolutely no reason why you can't go to drama school and train and, and be an actor. There's no reason why you can't. So we all did audition. And a, a massive proportion of us got into top wow. drama schools under his tutelage. Yeah. And there were five of us from Accrington at Lambda at the same time, Whoa. which is just like, I mean, unbelievable. Like three in my year came down from Accrington to be in it. And... Um, and we were able to do that because we got full grants yeah. from our local authority. So it, it pains me to even talk about it now because it's gone now, but I wouldn't have been able to go, you know, and, and I got my fees paid because it wasn't a, a, 
a degree course, so it was a discretionary grant. Yeah. So I had to go and do my audition pieces for a bureaucrat in the Lancashire County yeah. Council. Yeah. <laughs> All these young, keen, terrified 18-year-olds doing the Lady Macbeth, you know, in this office. And um, I don't think they ever turned anyone down. But yeah, I got a full grant, but not only my fees paid, I also got my, my rent paid in London for the full wow. three years. And more than that, even, when I left drama school, which had been a, a great experience, really, a really good experience, um, I was able to stay in London because I could sign on. Mm -hmm. I could sign on and claim housing benefit. And a group of us who hadn't got agents uh, as we'd left drama school, you know, there were, there's a, always a group who go off and get agents and go straight for the RSC or whatever, mm -hmm. and especially at a drama school like Lambda or RADA. And then there were a group of us who didn't. And we had one really inspiring teacher called Brian Asprey, who's still around. And uh, he's a uh, South African. And he and his wife, Yvonne Bryceland, had set up the first multiracial theatre company in apartheid South Africa in the 70s. Mm. And his stories from there were so startling and so inspirational. So they did... They'd be raided every day because black and white actors weren't allowed to work together. It was illegal. So the police would come in and shut them down all the time. And they used to have brooms around the stairs. And the black actors who'd be working all day as gardeners and cleaners and whatever would come to rehearse. And when the police came in, they'd grab a broom and pretend to be cleaning. And, just like, and then they'd put on the play. They'd get it on for a couple of nights. Then they'd be raided and closed wow. down. And, um, and some of the greatest you know, plays of last century come from that period from the Apple Bugard and uh, really incredible stuff. And, uh, and he encouraged us to set up a, 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 a theatre company in London. And, uh, and we were all just like, oh, I can't, I can't really have any money. We're, we're all on the door. And it's like, there's something British kind of like can't do attitude. And he was just like, well, I set up a multiracial theatre company. It's like apartheid South Africa. I think you can probably. <laughs> um, and so we did. And we wrote to every famous pe person that we could think yeah. of, hand wrote letters, like a, a sort of analogue crowdfunder. And. Uh, <laughs> And, and it was amazing. We got thousands of pounds. People like Alan Aitford and John Gielgud and Emma Thompson just sent us money. And we built, with our own hands, a theatre under a block of flats wow. in Paddington, uh, called it Arts Threshold. And for two years, I worked there solidly, putting on plays, making banana cakes for the cafe, cleaning the toilets, uh, working the box office, running it, and, and but having an amazing sort of theatrical apprenticeship as well. Mm. And... Uh, Great fact is that Rufus Norris directed his first play there, who now runs the National Theatre. You know, he, we all had these amazing opportunities because because we could sign on. And I know it's a very unfashionable thing now, but I would go and I would say, I'm getting this experience, I'm, people are seeing my work, I'm, I'm getting this opportunity. Yeah. And I was state-sponsored. The state was my, my mentor and my sponsor. And, you know... I've paid it back now in tax. I've yeah. paid it back. And and lots of musicians say the same thing. Those years of experimenting and stuff, that, that's been taken away from young people now. You know, there's no there's no room to set something up really because mm -hmm. it's so hard for young people. If you're a working class northern girl and you go to a London drama school, if you can manage to, to raise the, the audition fees. If you can then manage to raise the fees and manage to afford to live in London, 
you've got to then live in London afterwards and try to, if you're not getting the jobs, you can't make your own work yeah. because you're too busy working bars and cleaning jobs and everything. And it's like, and it, it's, it's stilting a whole generation of young people from, from low-income families. And, it, and it's really, really upsetting to me that we've, we've, we've let it go. It just happened, you know. Yeah. Like, and luckily, there's amazing organisations now who would set up specifically to, to support young people like that. Mm -hmm. and, but again, it's getting letting them know that there's access to that. Yeah. And because otherwise, honestly, in a few years' time, we'll end up with a, an art scene that is entirely run by people from a, a very narrow stratum of society. Yeah. You know, and those are the stories that we'll be telling. Those are the stories. Nobody dares tell working class stories if they're not from that background because it's like, oh, I don't know anything of that world, you know, and it's like we need people from there. It really matters, you know, to make sense of our world and stuff. Yeah. So. And is the work with your own company in some way engaged in that pursuit in terms of exploring austerity Britain, uh, questions of class and access? Yeah, very much so. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we, we what primarily what we are, a company that what, what we felt was needed in Manchester, and, and this is borne out, is a community of artists who were engaged with the world and who were engaged politically, who want to make work about that. Not exclusively, because there's room in our arts for it all, but just to, who feel like that the arts have a, a place in that. And what we do is we create these evenings where people come together and we start conversations around these issues. Yeah. And actually, it's been one of the greatest joys of my life running this company because these evenings, you know, we're always having to bat off accusations of preaching to the converted mm -hmm. and, and, you know, because obviously people don't come. If you're like a, you know, if you're a big, like, Trump supporter, you're not going to come along to one of my fringe shows in Manchester <laughs> and be like, oh, my God, the, the scales have fallen from my eyes. It's, just, it's not about that. It's about, it's about emboldening people. There's a lot of involvement of the other side at the moment. The people are feeling very, very angry and very entitled and very, because of the things that have happened like Brexit, etc. people are feeling very confident in their views and in expressing them. And, you know, when somebody like Boris Johnson comes out and makes a joke about something, about somebody who is, doesn't have his privilege in any way, shape or form, who is actually on the bottom of the ladder of privilege, you know, it, that is indicative of a massive problem of, like, the world that we're living in now. And when he does that, it emboldens a whole bunch of people who think that they can then just go up to a woman yeah. on the street who's wearing a burqa and say, and make some joke or comment. And it's like, and so what I want to do, what we want to do and take back is to embolden the other side. And we have these evenings that are just kind of like, just a bit healing, actually. Just a bit like we're just in it together. We've got a community of people and we talk afterwards and we're all so isolated at the moment, mm -hmm. sitting behind our computers, looking at Twitter and it's easy to believe that the world's going to hell in a handcart when you, you know, spend an hour on Twitter. But, you know, it's actually, you know, if you're just in a, in a, a room full of people, not all of whom agree, of course not, it's nuanced, but who who want to make the world a bit better and who feel like artists have a, a, a place in that conversation. Yeah. And that's been a, a real source of joy, creating that community. Actually. Yeah. It's interesting you're saying there about that maybe we can 
imagine the world being a better place or even attempt to make the world a better place. And uh, when we were speaking earlier, you mentioned the word utopia and how utopia might not be um, something we should be uh, ashamed of embracing or finding a place for in theatre or thinking about a more joyful, redemptive, hopeful future. And it makes me think about your show and how, you know, one of the most moving things about it is that we're allowed to imagine that and be in that space. Um, so, wow. Um, I think it might be time to see if there's anyone here who'd like to join the conversation. Um, if there's anything anyone would like to ask Julie, please. You said at the beginning your, your passions were theatre and politics. Would you advise a young person who wants to take a small step towards utopia, but they'd have, get more personal satisfaction from working in theatre or getting into party politics? Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's, that's quite easy. Uh, yes, I would say absolutely 100% that a, a utopian life would be an artist's life and not a, a politician's life, especially at the moment. People, because, because I am passionate about politics, people often ask me if I'd ever think about going into it. And I, and I couldn't. I don't, have, I don't have a skin thick enough for it. Mm. It, would, it would kill me. It really would. The abuse that MPs are subjected to every day is just absolutely terrifying to me. And I think that um, as a young person, I thought the two things were very separate. Because of the way that we talk about theatre, that that you could, you could have both things, that those two things could be married in some way, that you could have a, a, an artistic life that is threaded through with politics and caring and engaging with the world. And, uh, and it was actually my brother who's seven years older than me, and he's great. He's, he's a professor in cultural and media studies. And, uh, and, he was, and he just said, go and be an actor. Go and be an actor, you're from Accrington not what people from Accrington do. Go and do it. And that was, I worshipped him, and I was just like, okay. <laughs> and I did, and it's like, and I'm, and I'm so glad because I think that if you have a passion about anything, actually, to be able to turn that into a job. I was talking about this with someone earlier on, you know, because my daughter's very interested in going into theatre, and, and a lot of people, and I've been friendly with other people, just go, I go, oh, no, they're my dead body, and I'm like... It's hard. It's a hard life as an artist mm. in this present climate, especially. You know, nobody's ever going to pretend that it's easy and not challenging and sometimes very dispiriting and there's hard times. But the life that you have and the richness of that life and the people that you meet en route just makes it all worthwhile. You find your tribe and that is like worth everything. And, and for you to have a, a, a child who's got a passion at 16 years old. It's like, that's a gift. So many young people don't know what they want to do with their lives. And, and so many young people haven't had the opportunity to pick up a violin. Yeah. You know, they might be an amazing violinist, you know, in your estate. But if they've never picked up a violin, they'll never know. If Miles Davis never picked up a trumpet, he would never have known, you know, you've, you've, got, to, you've got to give people opportunities to to try things in order for people to know that they can do it. Mm. And, uh, and I'm lucky that, that my daughter has, has found that, and I'll encourage her all the way. And I will also encourage her to change the world in as many ways as she can, because that generation, I'm telling you, <laughs> they're brilliant. 
they are streets ahead of us in terms of like gender politics, in terms of like their ideas about equality and fairness and about just letting people live their own lives and leave them alone. They're just like, they, they, they need to be in charge now. And I'm so hopeful for the future, yeah. you know, that these, these young people are coming through now. And, and the, to me, the future is looking much more utopian than it's looked for a long time with this lot coming through. Great. It's very galvanising. So we'll take this, uh, this lady here in black and then I'll come to you next. Hi, Julie. Do you have any urge or desire to write? Um, well, I, I have started writing a little bit. I've, mm -hmm. I've, 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 written a, I've written a working diary, actually, that um, Matthew asked me to write last year. So, so I wrote it from November 2015, 16, 16 through to November of 2017. And it comes out next year. And, and within that, all sorts of things happened. I was in Mike Lee's Peter Lee film, and, and I did loads of stuff with Tate, like my theatre company, and I was publicising Broadchurch at the time. So... And I really, really loved it. That that was great. And I also wrote a little, uh, just a little one-woman show after my, my dad died. Um, because I found, well, my mum found this box of his amazing poems and writings that he'd written. And I wrote a little show around that, which I'm going to hopefully turn into a podcast later this year. Wow. So, so, so I'm starting to do a little bit of it, but, but I'm not... Um, I'm not an imaginative writer. I can only write about stuff from my own experience. Like my husband comes up with these amazing like stories and, and ideas, and and I don't I don't have that. I don't have that skill at all. I can only write about stuff that that's that's personal to me really. But the act of writing is something that I get a lot of pleasure from actually. Yeah, and, and it's something that that really immerses me. And of course, we all know that's like the secret of happiness, isn't it? That that coming up for air after an hour and having bad breath, concentration bad breath, you know, because you've been like, <sighs> and you're like, you're like, oh, well, what time is it? I need a cup of tea. It's like, that's, that's a really, that, that is that pursuit for me as writing. Mm. So, yeah. Yeah, so I'm ho hopefully there'll be more of that, but I'll, I'll see how it Let's hope so. Uh, I'm, I've just finished first year at drama school in Manchester. Oh, at, at the Met? Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, MST and... Uh, it's really encouraging to hear you talk about Manchester in the way you do, because it's kind of, when, when you're there, you feel a bit inferior, especially being in a drama school there, you feel a bit in, inferior to somewhere like London. But oh, you shouldn't be. You well, shouldn't I know, be. I know, yeah. No, no, but you really should. I mean, some of the best actors I know yeah. come from Manchester, mate. I'm from Welsh College, do you yeah. know? I'm yeah. from I'm Royal Scottish. Yeah. You know, it's like, it, th there's, there's no difference at all, you know, and it's like, and there's, and there's different opportunities for people yeah. from Manchester. I, I, I mean, I was, was going to ask, what advice would you have for someone now starting out in theatre? Well, just, just that, just get, find your tribe. Just get a bunch of people and make work. That's the best thing I can I can say for you to do because it's like there are two kinds of actors. There's a kind who write endless letter, letters to the casting departments at Royal Exchange in Manchester, getting increasingly bitter as they don't get called in. Do you know? And there's the kind who just go like, right, I want to write a play about Brexit. I like to do it and let's put it on you know, and, and invite people yeah. and then get on the Greater Manchester Fringe. Greater Manchester Fringe is starting to get really big. And there's about six or seven shows that are in Edinburgh from it this time, all getting like four or five star reviews. It's like, it, it's just just be one of those actors, you know. And also, 
it helps you because if you go for auditions, there's, there's this ace book by Andy Nyman. It's called Golden Rules for Actors. And it's full of brilliant advice. And he always says that when you go for auditions, you know, don't ever, ever be one of those actors when they say, so what have you been up to? Nothing. <laughs> it's terrible. It's bleak out there. <laughs> I think I should move to London. I think that might be, it might be better. If you just go and you just say, like, well, a group of us put on this play and, we, you know, we're, we're absolutely passionate about, you know, I don't know, Patti Smith. We, just, we, 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 did, we decided to do a one-woman show about Patti Smith. I wrote it. She did it. Blah, blah, blah. You know, anything. I've taught myself ukulele off YouTube. I've done, you know, whatever, whatever. You know, just, just have something to say to show that you're a creatively alive person and you've just got to keep yourself alive. You've just got to, you know, and it's hard. But if you find the right people, you know, I, I lived in a house down in London, you know, with a, a group of friends, and and I don't remember us having any particularly creative conversations. I remember smoking a lot of fags and drinking a lot of light wine. But, you know, we've all gone on to do stuff. Like Stephen Ogget from Frantic Assembly was one of those people, and Natasha Chivers, who's an award-winning yeah. uh, lighting designer. You know, we all lived there in this house together, running on its threshold, not Stephen, but Natasha was there as well. And... And he was running like frantic in the very early days and and just sort of like coming on a bit dispirited sometimes, you know, audience of three, whatever. And but we we kept each mm. other yeah. we found each other, found our tribe. That's that's the that's the best I can give you really, is just like just don't give up. Mm. Thank you. Is there anybody else? Uh, I was just wondering, you said that you were um, working on Cory at the same time that you were having kids and raising kids. I was wondering if I could ask you about um, how you navigated that caring career balance. Um, I, I've been I've been really really lucky, you know, because um, uh, Corrie, uh, it was a it was a regular job in that I got maternity leave and had a job to go back to when I went back, you know, which is really different from most freelance artists, you know, who uh, it's, it's that's a very different thing. And also, I, you know, my husband's a writer, as I say, I stopped the acting, so he was, oh. And uh, <laughs> so, it, so we, we've always shared it very much between, I mean, me and Orla were talking about this the other day, that it's like that, that thing of, you know, I'm, I'm not, I'm not putting this on you at all, because it's, a, but, you know, the thing of women always being asked about how you do it, and, and men never being asked that, you know, like, like Rufus Norris has got kids, and, I never read an interview with, Norris, with Rufus where they say, like, how have you managed to bring up two sons? You know, I never, ever read that. But interviews with Orla or interviews with Vicky Featherston, it's like constant, you know. It's like, it's really dead interesting, you know. You, you find a way. And I think you find a way in your own psyche of going, it's really good for children to see their mum leave the work with a spring in the step, going to a job that they love. You know, and that's that's a really good thing for children to see. Was there a question here? Your uh, interview with Clive Anderson when I was washing up on um, Saturday. <laughs> yeah, all they were cooking. Anyway, it was like a tea time show. That was great. But it was very interesting hearing you talk about, you know, your role as Haley when it sort of began. That it was almost written as it was a bit of a joke character, and then how that transformed and how you, you know, got some sort of support from the trans community. I don't know if you could just talk us through a little bit about that period. 
Uh, well, I mean, it's just it's a, just a really, really uh, good example of things changing, you know, and, and incrementally, actually, you know. So, so the character, for those of you who don't know, the character I played in Coronation Street was the, the first transgender character to, to appear in a soap. Mm -hmm. um, I'm not trans, I'm cisgender, and there was a little bit of controversy about that at the beginning from transgender pressure groups who felt quite correctly, actually, that a transgender actress should have played that role. At the time, I felt that that would have been unbearable pressure on a trans actress because the press would have just been yeah. all over it and would have been so prurient. And it's terrifying enough going into that show, especially at that time when the, the audience figures were, you know, quite still quite staggering. You know, I mean, they still are, but but back then, you know. Um, so I just decided to take it on and just to try and be the, the best advocate as I could. Um, for the people that I was representing by playing that part. And it was never a joke in my head. You know, it was always a, a person that I cared about. And um, and as happens, and, and soap's a really, really powerful tool for change when it's done properly. You know, and, and, it, and it wasn't meant to be. It really wasn't meant to be. You know, it was a joke. It was a disastrous date for, for Roy. But what happens is, is that when you're in people's living rooms, that's how you fight prejudice, because... People feel like they know that character and care about them, and then they start rooting for them. And it's happened with, you know, the first gay characters in soaps as well. And and it sort sort of becomes like they really wanted Haley and Roy to be together and to be happy. And at that time, trans people couldn't marry their partners. And people would come up to me in Accrington in Asda and say, like, when are you and Roy getting married? And, and I'd be like, well, we're not allowed to because the law won't allow it. And they'd be like, never mind that. And I'd be like, that's how you change the world. You know, it's like by doing that. And it's like, and it was a complete privilege to play that part for that many years. And then just as I've said on, on Loose Ends, you know, it's uh, just at the point when I left, just exactly at that point, it became the moment for trans actors to come to the yeah. fore. And it would have been now, like I've left four and a half years ago now, it would have been an embarrassing anachronism for me to be playing that part now and one that we'd all be having to struggle with and to justify over and over again. And, and actually it ended and, you know, and now there's all these amazing trans actors coming up and through who are doing brilliant jobs representing their own communities and too right, you know. So so it was just it was just it was just perfect. That sixteen years was yeah. from start to finish exactly as it was and, and and the world is still incredibly tough for, for trans people. I mean it's off the scale tough, you know. I mean, even in the world of LGBT, I think that, you know, trans people, you know, are being murdered and abused every day. But in terms of like as I said before, the younger generation, there's an acceptance there. There's a there's an understanding of like gender and sexuality that just that you know the generation above is just years behind mm. on, and that fills me with great hope. Okay, one last question here. Thank you. You you mentioned that Mother Courage is a project that's coming up for you in the future. I'm just interested to know what else we might look forward to. Um, well, well, as I say, you can come and see Greatest Play in the History in the World anywhere, anywhere in the world <laughs> over the next 70 years, you know. Um, I'm, I'm, I've got, I'm doing an episode of Catastrophe, the um, Channel 4 series with um, Sharon Organ and Bob Delaney, which was a 
brilliant to be. That was really exciting. But apart from that, yeah, Mother Courage is the next the next big thing. And then after that, I don't know, really. Mm. So, so yeah, I'll have to wait and see. This is this is my life now, you know, like it is for freelance artists, you know. You yeah. just kind of like see what comes up next. And it's, uh, it's thrilling and terrifying by equal mm -hmm. measure, you know. Well, it's thrilling for us as well to have you working and doing the amazing, not just the work, not just the performance in all these different ways, but the advocacy, your political sensibility, and just your generosity. So thank you. Thank you so much. That's been the most inspiring hour, I think, it has. Thanks for joining us in conversation at The Traverse, sponsored by Spotlight. If you'd like to find out more about The Traverse Theatre, a registered Scottish charity, the productions and activities we have coming up, or how you can help to support our work, please visit traverse.co.uk. We look forward to seeing you soon.